millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. My name is Rain Hirsch. I am a conductor and a comedian, and welcome to Prongs in the Pub my unofficial and slightly irreverent podcast about the BBC Proms, one of, if not the greatest music festival on the planet. So the Proms has started. Now, mixing up my attendance this year, I decided to watch the first night live on BBC Two, and very agreeable it was too. Verdi's 90-minute Requiem. Great to see the crowds back, and of course, sound and visuals of a different order. That said, I couldn't help feeling the teleshow was, well, a bit of smash and grab. We joined the Albert Hall just 15 minutes before showtime and left pretty smartly with the applause. Our host was news reporter Clive Myrie, last seen talking about the Russian invasion from a balcony in Kiev. This time, though, he was looking very trendy. Scarf, beads, plimsolls. Never seen him looking quite so arty before. Was it that or was it the BBC wardrobe department in overdrive? A short report from Tom Service, who was born in Glasgow and who speaks like this and is perpetually excited about being anywhere or doing anything. Then the BBC Symphony Orchestra, plus the biggest bass drum you've ever seen, though with one or two dents in it where somebody's probably whacked it a bit too hard. And a bizarre instrument at the end of the brass section, which looked like an early device for collecting microwave transmissions called a chimbasso. I had to look that up, by the way. Replacing the Ophiclide, I had to look that up as well, a now defunct brass instrument that Verdi originally put in the score. Three excellent soloists. I wasn't so massively impressed by Kawan Sim, the bass baritone, but he was the only one who wasn't huge and maybe that affects his sound. Yeah, if you're a person who likes big women, the sopranos Masabani Cecilia Raguanasha and mezzo-soprano Jennifer Johnston wouldn't have disappointed. Granted, the camera angles didn't do them any favours. At one point, we were literally looking up Masabani's nose. Oh, there was also the moment in which they simultaneously sang this. didn't think it was that bad. Actually, it turns out that was fac, not the word we were all thinking of. As you probably know, fac is what Irish people say when they want to say the word that we were all thinking of, but don't dare. It was a moving performance, although for my money, Verdi's Requiem is a piece in which I tend to drift in and out a little bit, with only occasional whack on a bass drum, and this... ...to wake me up. 
If you live in the UK, you too can catch the telly show on demand for the next 11 months. Or if you don't live in the UK, check out BBC Sounds, where you can hear the first night and all the proms in this season until the 10th of October. I must stress that we're nothing to do with the BBC, but I hope you're enjoying this podcast nevertheless for its own special unofficial take. Please don't forget to subscribe, leave a comment, and you can get in touch with us at www.pomsinthepub.co.uk. Now to our guest, who is Chief Music Critic of the Daily Telegraph, also a broadcaster, university lecturer, and sometime Thunderbirds enthusiast. He wrote the music for a live stage show of Thunderbirds a few years back. He is Ivan Hewitt, who in a weak moment agreed to appear on Proms in the Pub and to show him that this podcast is not just messing about, there was a quiz. Well, I thought, uh, Ivan, if you'll excuse me this, that people want to know what it is that makes critics tick, right? What are their references? Where are they coming from? So I thought we'd start this, if you don't mind, with an either-or series of questions. Either-or, and you've just got to say, you get two choices, and you've just got to jump to the one that most appeals. You ready for this? Okay, all set. Wine or beer? Beer. Okay, love or money? Definitely love. Good. Book or film? Book. Thunderbirds or Captain Scarlet? Oh, that's really hard. Thunderbirds? Yeah, I know your history with Thunderbirds, by the way, aren't I? Scarface or The Godfather? Godfather? Yeah, okay. Facebook or Twitter? Twitter. Being able to speak German or being able to speak Italian? I'm struggling with both. So, uh, oh God, Italian. Yeah, okay. Uh, your wife is Italian, so that's probably, you know, she, she, she yeah, listens to this. Right answer. Spotify or vinyl disc? Spotify, but I'm a bit embarrassed to say that because, you know, you know, Spotify is a bit of a monster, like it's all streaming services. And, but I don't have a vinyl player, so what can I do? Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. It's all a nice idea in practice until you put it on and hear all that scratching. Radio 3 or classic FM? Radio 3. <laughs> Opera or musical? Opera. Happy ending or sad ending? Ooh, sad. Yeah, okay. Now, it's slightly more musical if you're thinking of this. List or Chopin? You're supposed to say Chopin, aren't you? It's a, it's a bit kind of... Because List is thought to be vulgar. So I'm going to say List. Good for you. Uh, Wagner or Verdi? Verdi. Uh, Mahler or Bruckner? Bruckner, Okay, sure. yeah, that's... There we go. Rachmaninoff or Prokofiev? Ooh. Hard. God. I guess, yeah, Prokofiev, I guess. Peter yeah. Maxwell Davis or Harrison Burtwistle? Definitely Burtwistle. Good. Chicago Symphony or Vienna Philharmonic? Ooh. Maybe Chicago, because they always play like they really mean it, and Vienna can be a bit complacent. All right, Chicago Symphony or Berlin Philharmonic? I think in that case, Berlin. Yeah, good. Tonal or atonal? <laughs> Oh, I'd be a total fraud. Anyone who says atonal is a fraud, I think. It's got to be tonal. Okay, good. And being asked either or questions or being smashed in the face with a custard tart. I'm just reaching to my bag now. <laughs> no, that is not a real question. Well, there is. That we're, now we know, we know all about you. Right, so, so what have I scored? Uh, you haven't scored anything. There's no, there's no right Oh, wrong. right. It's I thought going to be... Yeah, no, there's probably a psychologist out there who's ticking boxes the doing those splodge diagrams that goes, oh, he's, he's that. So this is about the problems. And obviously, first thing... For those people who have just landed on a spaceship, maybe it's people listening abroad, actually. What, what are the problems? What, how, would you de- how would you define them? 
The Proms is an eight-week immersion and also education in mm. mostly classical music. Mm. People, some people, complain that you know the, uh, the proportion of classical music is dwindling these days. Mm. Yeah. I mean, a little bit, but it's still overwhelmingly classical music played by a big range of orchestras, chamber players. It's centered on the Royal Albert Hall, which uh, some people hate as a venue, other people absolutely love, but increasingly it goes out to other venues yeah. um, for, for chamber music. And now, this year, around the country, you know, we're going to get proms from the Sage Gateshead, for example. Truro, Truro. Truro, that's the nicest one, isn't it? It's very Catholic in its taste, you know. Um, because of that, of course, it always displeases some people, you know. There'll always be people who will say, why isn't there more Havergal Brown? That seems to be a perennial complaint, you know. Mm. Why is there so much contemporary music? Why isn't there more contemporary music? But if you, if you are coming new to classical music and you, you don't want to resort to a streaming service and you don't really like listening to CDs, you want it live, in other words, you could hardly do better than just go every night to the proms for a season. Mm. You'll come away having heard a pretty good cross-section of, of, the, of the tradition. One thing we must add in there, it's, it's principally orchestral as well, and which, you know... Yes, yes, very important point, which I've somehow failed to make. Um, it is principally orchestral because it suits the venue. Yeah. It's a big place, holds nearly 6,000 people. It's especially well suited to, not, I mean, not just orchestral music, but big orchestral music, you know, uh, with, with chorus, you know. So this year's season starts with uh, Verdi's Requiem, and then that suits the... That suits the hall really well. It also suits Mahler's symphonies very well because you can put the offstage brass in a place where it actually sounds really good and not like they've just been tucked outside the artist entrance, you know, and it sounds a bit naff, as, yeah. it, can, as it can do in other halls. Uh, in the Albert Hall, it sounds really good. It's, it suits the venue, but actually the kind of the... Um the gig chose the venue rather than the other way around, if you see because it used to be in the Queen's Hall, which was opposite or very close to... The, the, what is now the BBC. In fact, it was this, it, it's a kind of, if you see old pictures of that, it looks like a kind of Albert Hall just dumped north of Oxford Circus. I mean, that's what it was until the Nazis thought as good to uh, firebomb the place in 1940-something. 1941, I think, yeah. uh, it was destroyed. Um, there's, a, there's a tiny fragment of wall left there. Yeah, I've heard about that. In some, in some sort of you know, corridor somewhere you can see that. Have you seen it? Um, yeah, it's on some little cul-de-sac uh, off Great Portland Street, I think. But yes, you're right, it was a big place. And of course, it, back in those days, in the late 1890s, they weren't so concerned about health and safety rules. And so thousands and thousands were packed into a space. People were allowed to smoke, you know. There's a brilliant thing about, you know, they only ask that gentlemen don't light matches during the music or something. That's right. That's right. And um, they were also earnestly requested not to blow smoke in the faces of the ladies, as this, was, <laughs> as this was impolite. But you could you could promenade around, you know, as the name suggests. Yeah. Um, there was a big fountain in the middle, and people would cheer when their favourite, um, you know, euphonium soloist would come on, because in those days, the music was much more geared to individuals than institutions, mm. you know. So you, you didn't get just this polite applause for, for the Queen's Hall Orchestra as a whole, people would let rip when the euphonium player arrived, you know, mm. or the cornet player. Mm. And in the early days, programmes were quite a miscellany, you know, as concerts generally were in those days. Yeah. You know, it wasn't a sober thing of this symphony followed by this concerto. You might have those things, but interspersed in them would be cornet solo from Mr Humphreys. Yeah. Or, you know, 
uh, soprano aria from from Miss Davis. Yes, variations on you know That's Rossini's right. something or other. That's right. And yeah. it went on too. I mean, they, the original concerts were like three hours, like every night. Yes, you, you certainly got value for money in yeah. those days. It was closer to a sort of music hall or a sort of variety show than than a serious concert of today. Yeah, um, and the interesting thing about it is, you know, this you talk about Catholic programming, but in the early days. I mean, apart from these kind of bizarre, fat, trivial kind of virtuoso numbers, they be- they played all the Beethoven symphonies every year. They played all the Brahms symphonies. I mean, it was just a standard. There was a Monday night with Wagner night. I mean, it was, just, it was bizarre. I mean, this kind of regularity, and it was probably pretty easy to program, really, because, you know, you just ticked off. And they, did, they played all the Beethoven symphonies, except the last movement of the ninth, which they just kind of left out. <laughs> <laughs> it just seems odd, doesn't it? It seems very odd. But, I mean, a number of things were odd about programming in those days. Mm. But, you know, the, the aims were very high-minded. You know, Henry Wood said, by degrees, I'm going to raise the public taste. You yeah. Know, he actually said that. Um, imagine saying that now. No. And, and he, he did it. He pulled it off, you know. But, but he was a quite a stubborn man, I think. And if people didn't like a new piece first time around, he'd just give it to them again and again <laughs> until they did, you know. So he... Um, he, he, he managed to bring them around to, to Debussy, who became quite a popular favourite. Um, but one thing the proms isn't, for anybody listening in the US of A, it is not the party you get at the end of your you know, high school, which we only vaguely understand. I'm not even sure I got those words right. High school, anyway, it's not that. It's People not think, the high school prom. But oddly, in the US of A, and also in Canada, for example, which we used to own, as we did the US of A, in fact, in times gone by, they know the phrase, last night at the proms, but they have no idea what it means. Yes, it's a very strange thing about the proms. And it's, it's, I can't think of another music festival anywhere in the world where the last night is so very different to the rest of the festival. Yeah. It's a very odd thing. It, it seems to float free yeah. somehow. And many people know the festival only from the last night. Yeah. Which is a bit unfortunate, because only the first half of the last night is, is in any way like the rest of the proms. Yeah, what do you think of the last night since we're on it? Ooh, well, this is that killer question, you know, that's, that's, um, that, that's bound to bring down a, a heap of anger on your head, whether you're for or against it. Well, the kind of jingoistic bit at the end, I, I, I wince at the thought of it, but the truth of it is that when I'm actually there in the hall, I stand up and I sing along lustily to Jerusalem. You've been... <laughs> I go every year. Do you? In my official capacity. Oh, really? Absolutely. People say that, you know, it's time to reinvent the last night because it's, you know, it's an embarrassment. And, and some people who are even more severe say it's worse than an embarrassment. It's mm. actually, it, it reveals a kind of innate hankering for a restoration of empire. Yeah. An accusation which I think is, is truly fantastical. You know, in, in my two years of interviewing uh, audiences at the proms, which I did for my contribution towards uh, a, a recent history of the proms, I, I can truly say I never found anyone who was hankering for the empire. Everyone who sings along to that song, except perhaps the foreigners, of which there are many, uh, knows that it's absurd, you know. And it, it's, a kind of self, it's a kind of exercise in self-mockery, I think, which everyone enjoys, and um, it, it's especially the foreigners, who I think, perhaps enjoy that sing-along more than anybody else, you know. And then there is something, I have to admit, bizarre about seeing a group of Chinese students waving a flag of the People's Republic mm. of China and singing Rule Britannia. That, that, is, that is very bizarre, mm. but 
one can enjoy it for its oddity, you know, and its absurdity. You spent two years talking to Promers, which sounds like a, I don't know, something you might have done for a Duke of Edinburgh award, but they are a fascinating group. I've, obviously, I've been a Promer, and I'm looking forward to being one again, but tell me about your observations as somebody actually going in there and finding out. Well, I was hanging around outside the building, talking to people in, in all the queues, not just the proming queues, but all of them, you know, because uh, I didn't want to make it overly weighted towards the promers who stand in the middle. But as it turned out, they said very similar things, actually. Uh, it was common to encounter families, you know, mums and dads who knew the proms and were, had come up from, up from Bournemouth or down from Leicester to give their kids a taste of this thing that they already knew they loved. And in, in many cases, maybe, maybe practically all the cases, the kids had some acquaintance with it because of the TV. So they had some vague notion of what they were in for, you know, and they, were, they seemed genuinely interested and they were enjoying the fact that it was a day out, you know. It was a, it was a good way to go to London and have a, have a really good time. It was the trust that they placed in the proms' taste that was interesting, because very often they would say, I don't really know much about classical music and I've heard there's something modern tonight which I don't really understand, but, but, but you know, big, but it's the proms, you know, so it's going to be fine. That, that was often the kind of burden of it, that they, that they trusted the institution of the proms to, to have decent taste, but not entirely conservative taste. And if it was something new, there'd be a good reason for that. And, and, and if they didn't even maybe understand it too well, well, there'd be a good reason for that too. So yeah. Hen Henry Wood would be delighted by that, wouldn't he? he? Would. Because that's exactly he what he was trying to achieve. He would, and, and, and it shows a real continuity, because as well as talking to the people outside, the you know, real live proms goers outside the building in the period leading up to the start of the proms, leading up to the concert itself, um, I did a bit of delving into the archive to find out, because you know, the BBC is very assiduous about doing audience research. Mm. And you'd find these very touching things, like people would say, you know, I've just heard Copeland's Appalachian Spring, you know, or something, given its prom premiere in 46 or something like that. I, I, I didn't really understand the music, but I'm sure I will like it very much on future hearings. They, there was this, this touching belief that, if, that they really ought to stick with it, you know, because if they did, then, then the, the faith they put in the promises taste will be vindicated, you know. So it's that trust I found really kind of touching. And there's an enormous kind of emotional investment. There was, there was one woman who said that when she died, she said, I want my ashes to be scattered here. She said, don't tell anyone. She said, just bring my ashes up and scatter them in the bushes. If you find that the, the, the fountain isn't working, <laughs> time what's this? All clogged up in here. Oh, come over here, Charlie. Somebody's spread a lot of ashes down here. I thought it wasn't smoking no more, especially not striking matches during the performance. In fact, one, interview, one interviewee actually having talked about how, how he adored the proms, gave me a slightly suspicious look and said, you think I'm mad, don't you? <laughs> but but the, the, the best remark I had was from an American visitor. I, on the last night, there was a party of, of, who, who were, you know, dressed up, you know, in, in, in tuxedo and, and the ladies were in fine gowns, you know. And I was talking to these guys and one of them came up to me and he pumped my hand and said, because this, this, was, this was going back a bit, this is the time of the Iraqi war. And he said, I just want you to remember, we stand with you shoulder to shoulder. <laughs> and, and coming to the proms was an illustration of this, the fact that they stood shoulder to shoulder, because this was a great patriotic event. And the woman standing next to him said, oh yeah, the proms are so great, they go back to 1400, right? 
I couldn't bear to put her right on that. So I just let it go. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Well, here's the thing. So the proms has become much more international. We talked about, well, actually, what did you talk about? In the early stages, it was, you know, one conductor, one orchestra, no, all the solos were British. Well, it was a less international age. And now it is really an international event. You know, you get orchestras coming from all over the world and solos and all the rest of it. But is the proms famous internationally? Yes, I would say so. I mean, it's, it's that, and that's been true for a long time. In fact, my, my first exposure to the proms I think, although this might be an invented memory, but I think it was via the BBC World Service. Because many of my summers were spent outside the country, you know, in foreign parts where my parents were living. Mm. And I think I first heard the proms in Beirut, in the same year that the Soviets invaded Czechoslovakia. When, you know, it, and it felt very soothing and comforting to have this very plummy BBC voice, you know, in, in, in the kind of disorder of Beirut, which was a very you know, a turbulent place in that, in that year of, of, you know, shortly after the Six Day War, lots of, de- lots of anti-Brits and anti-American demonstrations. Yeah. So to hear something soothing, like the BBC Symphony Orchestra play Floss Campy or something, hmm. was very nice. Yeah. I don't think there's any festival anywhere. You think, you think, of, the, you think of the problems as rivals, okay, like Lucerne, the um, Salzburg Festival, the summer festival in Bucharest, actually, which you might not think of, but actually has an f- extraordinary array of international orchestras, mm. are also very impressive, but I don't think they rival the proms, no. you know, in terms of visitors. Mm. So, yeah, it's, it's wonderful. And it's, some people say, what a great shame it is to hear such a great orchestra as the Berlin Philharmonic in such a lousy acoustic as the Albert Hall. Yeah. But honestly, I don't, 
I don't mind the acoustic. It, admittedly, it's very eccentric and patchy. Mm. You know, you can be in, in one area where it's pretty decent mm. and then move 10 seats to your right and it's terrible. Yeah. You know, Thomas Beecham used to say, it was a great experience for a young composer to have a piece premiered in the Royal Albert Hall because you could be sure of hearing it twice, you know, because the echo would come back from the other wall. And that, I remember one occasion when I had to leave a prom, in fact, because the echo was so awful in a performance of very loud, percussive, contemporary music from the New York group Bang on a Can. I couldn't stand it, you know. It just made nonsense of the, of the music. I had, I had to just go. Yeah. But They, they uh, fit those um, flying saucers in the 60s, I think those appeared. Yeah. Yeah, I did actually go to the hall before they appeared. And oh. That really dates me. Mm. Um, and they certainly improved it. But, but, I mean, no doubt it is patchy and no doubt the sound's better on the radio. Yeah, I think it is. The other thing is, my theory is, I mean, I, what is the Albert Hall? It was built for lion taming, really. That's yeah. what it was built for. All, yeah, uh, all in wrestling. All in wrestling, mm. uh, tennis matches, quite good there. But, I mean, I think it's, you know, the, the, I don't know, concave? Uh, that's that shape, isn't it? It basically focuses the sound to the opposite side of the hall. Yes. So if yes. you're sitting on the opposite side of the hall in the peak reflective area, insert scientific term for that, you get not a bad experience. I've sat on in boxes on the opposite of that, and it's really quite nice. I've also sat behind the orchestra in the gods just below the, the gallery when you almost have to turn to the person next to you and ask if it's over. Because it's... You know, it's just, it's just rubbish. It's so completely rubbish. I just think, what's the point of this? But it is, nevertheless, a grand venue. It's become the home of the Ponte, and there's no point in arguing anything different because they're never going to find, unless they build another one, which they won't. So there we go. That, it is, that's where it is. Let's forget that question. That's where it is. And it has so many compensating virtues, I think. You know, I like the fact that you can, you know, it's, it's kind of red plush, you know. Yeah. Uh, it kind of feels grand and cosy at once. 70s cinema. 70s cinema, yes, exactly. You know, I, I like looking at Sir Henry with the silly wreath on his head, uh, looking down at the promise, seeing what they're up to, you know, seeing how many silly costumes I can spot. I, I, of course, it has its frustrations. You know, there's, I, I think in my, in my nightmares, I'm going round that endless circular corridor <laughs> looking for the men's lose. And, and there seem to be endless women's lose. <laughs> Rightly so, of course. I mean, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely right, they should be. Well, where are the men, where's the men's, you know? Yeah, know. And you're, you're running and running and thinking, I'll never find it. You, know? you realise at one point you, you, you turn in the wrong direction and the then you're running, you're running the long way. It's like, you know, when you overtake somebody on the M25, are you 50 feet in front of them or 260 miles behind them? It's like, <laughs> whatever it is. So the pro, the, we just established that the general sweep of the thing is kind of as it, you know, that's to say, in the very, very broadest of terms, BBC orchestras, sprinkling of you know the stars, and then the the swashbucklers come out at the end, and then there's the last night, and that's the kind of thing. That we're doing. The, what are the themes actually? Kind of in terms of the music, Vaughan Williams is one. Yeah, anniversary composers. Um, Vaughan Williams were celebrating his 150th, so he's he's quite a constant thread throughout the programming, uh, which is a wonderful thing. Doreen Calwitham. Oh yeah, her. Am I right in thinking that she's also... She is on. She's on the last night of the, she's on the, last night of the Ponds with a great piece, which I just like what I hear, just for its name. Hang on a second. Right, I'm going to find out. I'll have to shuffle, shuffle, shuffle to the end of the last night of the Ponds. Uh, Doreen Carwin, overture to ODTAA, one damn thing after another. <laughs> yeah, it gives you a kind of impression of someone who's a bit cross, doesn't it? Yeah. And in fact, I know from someone who, an elderly person who studied piano with her, that she could be a bit cross. Oh, really? She was one of those... 
old-fashioned piano. She, she literally s sat next to you with a ruler in her hands and rapped your knuckles. Oh, really? Uh, okay, so there's Vaughan Williams, Carl Witham. Who knew? Yeah, and uh, there's a, a recurring theme nowadays in the problems is, is more women performers, more women composers. Yeah. So we're, this year we've got Ethel Smythe's The Wreckers, which is coming up from Glyndebourne. Yeah. The new Glyndebourne production. The piece of hers I really want to hear, because I, I, I've heard it once or twice, I really like it, is her double concerto. For right, Violin and, and the Horn. Now, when you talk about those, the increase in women sort of representation, can we be totally unethical and bad woke now by wondering out loud whether that can go too far? Whether it, any, 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 I don't mean this about women, but actually that people are chosen, and this is of course the perennial argument in, against this kind of thing. You get chosen, people are chosen simply because of who they are rather than what they can do. Well, I think th there is a very strong argument for, well, more than one argument for reviving these forgotten composers, not just women, of course, but, you know, black Asian composers hmm. who've been overlooked, some of whom are, have been highlighted in this year's prom season, you know, just to mention one, George Walker, very fine black American composer, uh, died in his late 90s. Uh, his trombone concerto is being done. This year, one of a whole series of concertos for slightly unusual instruments. Tuba um, concerto, Vaughan Williams. Tuba concerto, violin and, and horn concerto of Ethel Smythe, we've already mentioned. Violin concerto with horn obbligato. Obligato. Playing a bit too loud. Yeah. <laughs> so th there's a kind of natural justice argument. You know, they were sidelined for reasons that weren't really to do with their music, but because it was thought that, you know, women didn't really have a place in classical music. Ditto black composers, ditto Asian composers. Uh, another argument is that it takes a while, I think, to appreciate the worth of a, either a piece or, or a composer's output as a whole. It, because it, it, it takes a certain practice to be able to hear the music. You know, the first time you hear the music of, of any unfamiliar composer, you probably won't get it, actually, just because you're not familiar with the idiom. You've got to hear it at least twice, preferably three times. Mm. Um, you know, the first time I heard George Walker's Fourth Symphony, I thought, Gosh, that's a, that's a bit indigestible. You know, that's proper hardline modernism. Second and third times, I started to warm to it. So, so it, it, it's got to be more than just one a token wheeling out of a piece and then packing it back in its box again and leaving it for another century or so. Um, now, okay, so you meant we're talking we're talking in the area of revivals of um, first performances of commissions and so on. And um, you actually, I'm holding the prom program now, which I'm going to thud on the table. That's the promise program we're going now. Uh, which, it's kind of, the last, like, fifth of it is the actual program, and the rest of it is articles. Now, one of them is written by one Ivan Hewitt at the front here. Ah, yes, auspicious premieres. Yeah, exactly, auspicious premieres. And it's, I mean, you probably wrote it about 4,000 years ago. You forgot what, maybe just rehashed it, borrowed something used for music matters in the, <laughs> in the early 90s. But in it, you talk about the importance of the premiere, you know, and whether that augurs, a good premiere augurs well for the future success of the piece and whether the opposite is true. Uh, and you say, and I, and I quote the good book, so be sure to give any, a new piece your undivided attention. You never know, you may be witnessing the birth of a classic. Has the proms given birth to any classics? I think the proms has, yes, given birth to classics, which, what do I mean by classic? Well, a, an exemplary specimen of quality that mm. maybe has had an influence, 
uh, and it has some degree of afterlife. It gets played with reasonable frequency. Yes, Boulez's prom commission from 74, Pierre Boulez's commission from 1974, Rituel in Memoriam Bruna Maderna, is, is one of his better-known pieces, I think, because it's, it's rather unusual. There. It's, it's, it's stylistically a bit of an outlier in his piece, and it has that kind of very hieratic, rather awe-inspiring ritual quality which people can resonate with, you know, without, even if they don't like modern music very much. Yeah, there, there, there are. I mean, it's it's not a it's not a a rich hall, shall we say? No, it's well, not it's, But there are yeah, there are pieces born at the proms, commissioned with proms money, which are uh, set around and people people rate very highly. Yeah, very good. Um, okay, listen. So we are down to our top tips for the twenty twenty two proms season. Um, you mentioned the Berlin Philharmonic. I, I would go to the first of their two concerts. Well, of course I go to both. But if I had to choose one. I guess it would be Mahler's Seventh Symphony because uh, I have a very funny relationship with that piece. I, I, I find it baffling and often annoying. I, I, I mean, I find the finale completely grotesque. Uh, the, the kind of opening theme just so, so fantastically banal. I think, how can anybody think they could base a symphonic, symphonic movement on that? For them, the but Aust- yet it's fascinating. For them struggling with their Mahler symphonies, it is, the, I think, probably the least accessible of the Mahler symphonies. Yes, and several conductors have said to me that they, they find it the hardest to, to make sense of. Yeah. Uh, Salomon said he, he doesn't really grasp it. I know somebody who did his PhD thesis on the Mahler Seventh Symphony. Slow movement, just that. So, how about that? Good God. All right, so yes. let's hear your five choices. We've, well, that's one. That's one, okay. One, another of the five choices would be the Hebrides Ensemble. Oh yeah, because it's got three pieces of Zanarkis, and you know Zanarkis is is becoming a bit rare since he died. You know, mm. and um, it's just great to hear that music. You know, it, it demands the kind of seat of the pants risk taking from players, which is very thrilling. You know, e- even if the notes themselves are a bit baffling, mm. the, the 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 kind of tornado of energy is just. Fabulous. Well, that's Fabulous. on in Belfast. That's the 18th of July. And I did pick that one out as well, but I thought it's Belfast. I'm never going to go there. So yes. if, you're, if you're in Belfast, you're listening to this, you know, do that. It's fab. 8th of July. It's a lunchtime thing. 1 o'clock to 2 o'clock in the Waterfront Hall studio. Who yes. else? Well, I mean, another one I'm keen to hear is the BBC Philharmonic on the 18th of July. I'm very soon into the season because uh, Omer Mayor Welber's conducting. He's, he's a remarkable talent. He's leaving them quite soon. He's doing Bruckner's Sixth Symphony, which you know is 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 the puzzling one amongst the output. I think I never quite get the sixth, but I think it's a, a, a very deep and interesting piece. I'm very keen to hear that. Also keen to hear the, the new work in that program, which is the Viola Concerto of Cassandra Miller. I enjoyed her cello concerto, so I'm hoping the Viola Concerto will be as good. Okay. Yeah. Well, other things. Well, there is the concert of North Indian classical music. Right. On the 21st of August, on the sarod, which is a kind of, well, it's a sort of plucked string instrument, which I love, and it's you know, a bit of a rarity. You don't often hear it. Um, and Amjad Ali Khan is a wonderful player on it. Indian music at the Royal Albert Hall, you, know, you wouldn't think they would go together, would you, really? It's, it's been a thing since the 70s, though. It's though. been a thing since, um, I think, 71 was, it was when it made its first appearance. Yeah. Um, so, 21st of August, that, that's a bit of a must for me. Uh, I think that leaves one more. One prom I'm keen to go to is Chinica's prom on the 2nd of September. Chinica being Britain and Europe's first majority black orchestra. Mm. 
It's a bit unusual because although it makes a nod to diversity in the programming, in the sense that they, in, before the interval, they're going to play a tiny piece, well, a fairly small piece by George Walker, wonderful um, uh, African-American composer, who we know mostly for his later modernist works, but early in his career he wrote this delightful little curtain raiser called Lilacs, which really ought to be a popular favourite and somehow isn't, you know, you know, and it, maybe it's easy to figure out why it's not a popular favourite. You know, going back to your earlier question, should we be giving so much attention to, to composers that history is ignored? Well, here's an example where it's, uh, you know, it's absolutely plain that prejudice has to be the defining factor in a, in a, in a piece's neglect. Because it's so, it's so easy to listen to and so beautiful mm. that it should be just there, you know, in the repertoire. And, it, and it's not. So that's the first piece in the programme. After the interval comes Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. It's an absolute proms fixture, isn't it? And I think I'm right in saying an entirely black cast of soloists. Yeah, fantastic. And a black conductor. So, you know, that's in, what would it sound? Is it going to sound very different somehow? Yeah. Maybe it will. I don't know. I think it's a very, it's a bold thing for... You know, because you know, the obvious thing to do would be to get the Berlin Phil to do it, mm. wouldn't it? But they're not, you know. So that, I, that's, that's really interesting. So I, I will certainly be at that problem. Great. Well, two final ones that I want to draw attention to, based purely on the photo. That is uh, Dream of Gerontius, uh, which is the, this is the 31st of August. I actually would prefer the Dream of Gerontius if it could be sung in a language I didn't understand. Because it's like, okay, I like this music, but the... The sentiments being expressed are just so... It's like Elgar C. Pictures, which is like, I wish I couldn't understand this. And the other one, and one of the best pictures, if not the best, Monday the 5th of August, it's in Cardiff, and that's the Carrion Wind Quintet, who look a bit crazy. And I, if I could get up to Cardiff, down across to Cardiff, I would go and see that, just to see if they look like their picture. They're doing uh, Ligeti, and uh, that's quite an interesting programme too. So, you know, and that's a lunchtime thing. So those are our top tips. Well, listen, um, that has been fascinating. And a tip, anybody who has never been to the proms, in a, in a sentence, why go? Because, as well as hearing probably some very fine music, very well played, you'll get a, a distinct flavour of something terribly English, you know. Probably more English than British, actually. A, a, Self-conscious of its own tradition, but but not in an overly serious way, you know, willing to mock, able to mock itself. And also the, a, a very nice feeling, which you don't always get in other concert halls where classical music is played a lot, of, of camaraderie, you know. It's like everyone's joined together, you know. You, you, you don't, um, although if you're in the stalls or upper, upper circles, you are literally looking down at the promise. You don't look down on them in any other way, mm. you know. In a sense... In a sense, they're the ones sort of in charge somehow. They encapsulate the spirit of the thing. Those, those, uh, those you know, slightly eccentric people or, or, or eager people, actually. Eccentrics is a slightly unkind way. Better to say eager people in the middle. They, they radiate this spirit of love of the music, which is, which is very endearing, actually. And I, help, I think it helps to give the proms its very special feeling. Um, <laughs> thanks very much. Oh, it's a pleasure. I, I reckon we've earned our lunch, don't you? Ivan Hewitt, what a nice man, happens to live round the corner from me, so what about that? His tips again were 18th of July, Hebrides Ensemble in Belfast, that's a lunchtime concert, 
then if you're very quick or got access to a helicopter, you might be able to get back to London for the evening performance of Bruckner's Sixth Symphony. Ivan mentioned the Cassandra Miller Viola Concerto. That's actually not being played, owing to ill health of one of the participants. Now Lawrence Power, the original soloist, will be playing his James Macmillan Viola Concerto, a piece that was written for him. He is the dedicatee and something really worth catching. Then he said, Sunday the 21st of August, Amjad Ali Khan playing Sarod. That's a concert that starts at 11.30. His next one was 2nd of September, Chinake performing Beethoven's Ninth Symphony and George Walker. His final tip was on the 3rd of September, the Berlin Philharmonic doing Mahler's Seventh Symphony. I'm going to skip that and go to the Berlin Philharmonic on the 4th of September, which is Schnitka Viola Concerto and Shostakovich Symphony Number no. 10, because I can't stand Mahler's Seventh Symphony. Now, we've just had the second proms, which featured Vaughan Williams' Fantasia on a theme of Thomas Tallis. Well, Vaughan Williams, 19th, 20th century composer, Thomas Tallis, 16th century. We thought we'd get update that a bit here at Bronze in the Pub. So our very special guest, Harry, Harry at thepiano.com, has cooked up a Tchaikovsky Fantasia, but on a theme of Bob Marley. We hope you enjoyed listening. Don't forget to subscribe. Harry, the stage is yours. on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns